back to the Eye on the Tigers podcast. I'm Dave Matter, Mizzou beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com. Joined today by sports columnist Ben Fredrickson. We've got a special guest coming up in the second half of the podcast. It's it's third down on the uh, on the podcast. And who do you go to on third down? You go to Barrett Bannister, who, has, uh, who joined us for uh, an interview, kind of processing life after college football. Um, he was doing it for a long time, and now he's getting ready for the next step, but he uh, he shared some time with us and really enlightening conversation, looking back on his career, looking back on last few years of Mizzou football and looking forward to the future. He's uh, always an interesting guy to talk to. to. And, um, that was that was a fun conversation. We hope you enjoy. But first, though, Ben, we got to talk some Mizzou hoops. Uh, the Tigers coming off a tough loss Wednesday night at Arkansas. No shame in losing it at Bud Walton Arena. Oh. But, um, you know, they've got to recover now. They've got Vandy on Saturday. What would you make of the way that, that Dennis Gates' team played and where they are right now? They're sitting there at, at what, 12-2, and two, number 20 in the nation, and, um, you know, still in really good position this in this part of the very young conference season. I thought it was one of the better games we've seen in SEC play so far, and I think Missouri probably comes out of that game wishing that uh, – some things would have gone their their way and they're they're not going to be happy about any loss not when you beat top 20 teams and they've done but from my perspective I thought they they had a lot to to feel good about in that game Kobe Brown has foul trouble Um, they're able to be competitive with him kind of having an off night after back-to-back 30 plus point games you also had uh, you know the fact that Arkansas let's be clear here very good team and we've seen Arkansas the length the athleticism that they have they were ranked that high for a reason, even though they weren't playing with, with their full team in that game. I was impressed, Dave, with, with, the, um, with the, the impact that Gates' defense made in, in the first part of the game. I thought the zone really had Arkansas kind of on their heels, and that was the game plan. Make them shoot from the outside, control their, their, you know, their, their strength, but also not let it you know, dull your own strength. I thought Missouri still did a good job of getting in transition, of playing up tempo, while controlling some of the turnovers that Arkansas really thrives off of with its defense that got a little flipped in the second yeah. half. But I think yeah. it's natural for us to say, hey, look at all the things that Missouri did wrong in the second half. I think you got to give some credit to Arkansas. Uh, Musselman had his guys really clearly more aggressive attacking that zone in the second half. I thought that was a big difference. Um, Missouri's, Missouri's offense was contained a little bit by that really good Arkansas defense. The shots they were getting weren't terrible just didn't get some of the open looks to fall and close game through the end there. Maybe it's a different game if played at Mizzou, but uh, I thought it was a sign that both of these teams deserve to be kind of in the mix of the, of the top few teams in the conference, which is not where we expected Missouri to be clearly where we expected Arkansas to be. Right. You know, and I, I thought it was a tough atmosphere. I mean, I've been there probably, I think I've covered maybe 10, 12 games at Bud Walton. It's the loudest I've ever heard it. Uh, it was Maybe they added some new speakers over to where the media sit or something, but it was, it was loud. They, they've got this new ribbon around the arena that shoots strobe lights and they only seem to go off when Missouri was shooting free throws. So Total sure coincidence. That was not a coincidence. <laughs> uh, it was a tough environment. And we got to remember for this Missouri team, everything is still kind of new. There's a bunch of firsts for this team. You know, it was our first bragging rights game. It was our first time playing Kansas at home first SEC home game a couple weeks ago. Well, this was their first SEC road game, except for, you know, Kobe Brown, obviously, Ronnie DeGray, 
Noah Carter had actually played at Bud Walton when he was at Northern Iowa, but for everybody else, this was their first experience in that arena. And considering everything that went wrong, it was still a two possession game with a minute to go. I think you, you don't, there's no positives, you know, you don't, nobody here is spinning anything, you know, positive after a loss, but um, that's not one where you walk away from and you feel completely dejected and disappointed. They did some good things uh, and they had a chance to win the game. I, I thought, and, and Dennis Gates, I thought made a really good point after the game, you know, Missouri, I don't think they handled the officiating very well. Cause I think you have to expect you're not going to get a lot of calls your way. And I think guys were kind of looking for fouls instead of just going hard at the rim. And when you start doing that, especially on the road, you're just, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to get enough to go your way. And that's a, that's a good lesson to learn. I also thought that was talking to some folks in the program shortly after the game. And, and one thing they felt good about was, Hey, you get Arkansas again in two weeks, you, you, you can count on Des Moines Hodge actually showing up for the next game. He, he was pretty much invisible in this game, uh, season, low points, season, low field goals. First time all season, he didn't hit a three pointer, um, you know, and, that's not probably not going to happen again. And he's been, he's been Missouri's most consistent player. I know Kobe Brown had the two big 30 point games, but Hodge offensively has been their most consistent guy. And he was, don't want to say a no show, but they did a really good job on him. I, I think he'll play better when they play at home. And, you know, Kobe didn't do a whole lot. He had the early fouls and he didn't even attempt a three pointer for a guy shooting 45% from three to not even get one off. Uh, that's a little bit of a red flag, but you also, you got to credit Musselman. He's a really good defensive coach. He plays like his, you know, his hair's on fire, like his pants are on fire, whatever, something's on fire. And the crowd feeds off that the players feed off that. That's a good Arkansas team. It's, it's a shame for them. They're not going to be at full strength this year, but what he still has left is still legit, you know, top 20 team. Yeah. I think that I was thinking watching the first half and, knowing that there was going to be an Arkansas run, they were just too yeah. good, good to, to not. So I think you saw in some way you'd see Missouri do against Illinois, against Kentucky, where they came out and punched them right in the face from the jump. I think Arkansas is a better team right now than both Illinois and Kentucky. So they punched back where those other teams, they didn't really find that, find that answer. And Missouri didn't get knocked down by Arkansas's, you right. know, counter. But they, they, they were right there. There was a moment in the second half where you go, hey, the game's going to get away here and Arkansas is going to kind of run away with it. And it didn't happen. Missouri kept it close and, and they, didn't, they didn't break through. But it was a, it was a tight game there toward the very end. And, and I, I think there's some positives you can take out of that. I was thinking about, Dave, what um, – well, first off, I was thinking that all of the complaining about the officiating after the game is a good sign that Missouri fans like this team. And they yeah. like this coach because the officiating was not great at times, but it wasn't biased. It was, it was actually bad at times for both teams. It was not the reason the game ended that way, but the, the, the reaction from Missouri fans tell me they like this team because they're not blaming a player. They're not blaming the coach. Yeah. They're blaming the officials, which is usually a sign that uh, enthusiasm is high. So that was my first takeaway. I was also thinking of like, how would you, you know, we, I think I'm hearing a lot. I'm sure you're hearing it in Columbia. One thing people say is they like watching this team. They're fun to watch. Right. And I was thinking, why is like what components can we actually point to of why that is? Well, they play aggressive defense. They create offense off their defense. That's fun. The tempo is up. They got a bunch of guys who can make shots. And it's fun to see the ball go in the basket. They've got shooters 
all across the floor. They space the floor well. They move the ball. It's it's a aesthetically pleasing offense, and they're like their true shooting percentage is one of the best in the nation, not just in the SEC. Those things those things are fun to watch. I also think one thing we're seeing. I think Dennis Gates and his staff are good at game planning and they didn't execute it flawlessly in this game. It clearly got away from them in the second half, but they've gone into every game with a plan and their players do a good job of executing that plan. I mean, you saw them deliberately try to make Arkansas shoot over the top. You saw them try to do some things in this game and they put it to work in the first half. A lot of teams would have just gone into a hole and not come back out. Arkansas is a good team. So you know, that that's a credit to Arkansas. But I, I think you're seeing Gates and his staff take a game plan that tries to take away the the opponent's weaknesses. And that's fun to watch. OK, how are they going to go about this game? And they've got the, the selflessness on this team to have different guys kind of star on different nights. Um, last, you know, that game wasn't a big Ronnie DeGray game. Illinois was, you know, yeah. this game, this matchup was more suited for Aiden Shaw, who can combat some of that bounciness and athleticism that Arkansas brings and I, I think that they've got more depth than I realized but they've also got a good a good kind of early sign of having a game plan and putting it to use on the floor where the players know what they're supposed to do and I think that bodes well for future games future conference games and it bodes well for their rematch against Arkansas coming up yeah for sure I, I would you know remind people or just tell them watch this team offensively out of timeouts he draws up some good plays. I mean, they, they don't, the ball doesn't always go in, but they usually get a pretty good look. And it's, it seems to be different every time, whether it's a sideline out-of-bounds plays or a baseline out-of-bounds plays. Uh, I, I think that's a strength of his. You can you can see it's creative and and just gets gets good looks. And I, I think it also, it like you said, they punch teams in the mouth to start games. I, I think he does a nice job of calling games early. You know, it's kind of like an offensive coordinator in football who yeah. those plays early. And uh, that's, I think, a part of the reason they get off, you know, to good starts in some of these games. They control things, uh, you know, from the jump. Uh, we we got to say, too, we got to mention, man, I'm so impressed with Nick Honor, and I know you are, too. He's just such um, kind of an unsung, uh, important part of this team. You know, the other night, what he, I think he had 12 points, four assists, no turnovers. The guy sat down one time. He had a, a break in the first half for a minute 51 played the entire second half no turnovers at bud walton arena against that defense and they also they do this thing uh in fayetteville where the students they pick one kind of random player usually a starter but they pick one starter from the opponent's team really for no reason and they just decide this is the guy we're going to boo every time he touches the ball and then they spread that out over social media and it was nick honors night Every time he touched the ball and he touches it a lot because he's the point guard that plays booed like crazy. And to have a, a line like that, to give them a chance with no turnovers and four assists, really impressive. And he, he was asked after the game, like, did you notice it? He's like, of course I noticed it. He's like, it was music. He said it was music to my ears. He said, I love it. This is a guy let's not forget. He's not a mid-major transfer. This dude played at Clemson. He played in front of the Cameron crazies at Duke. He played, it's, it's not quite the raucous environment at North Carolina, but he played games at North Carolina, played games at Louisville, played games at Syracuse. So he's used to the big stage. And I, I just, I've been so impressed. I wasn't sure what to expect from him because his numbers at Clemson were just kind of so-so, but he's been really this, this steady, steadying force of this team. And I think he really compliments 
you know, well with Sean East, who can do different things offensively. Uh, and they're it's a it's pretty dynamic combo when you have them on the floor together. Yeah, they're good yin and yang. Um, Nick Honor is that point guard that previous seasons we we would have said if Missouri could have just had a guy like that, yeah. their teams would have played much better in the second halves, would have played better in the NCAA tournament. Um, he's calm, cool, collected in that second half where there were those moments where it's okay, here comes Arkansas's run to slam the door. Usually it was Nick Honor who was doing something that that got Missouri back in a position to respond. He's just, he's just steady. And it's a great point. They, we talk about this team being a new team. They are new together. A lot of them are new to the SEC, but they're not young. Um, these guys are grizzled and they might not be used to the stage, but they're used to tight games. And I think that's becoming a character, character, um, you know, a trait that we're seeing in this team. A lot of that because of honors leadership on the court. East is getting more comfortable. I'm just realize, hey, I can score against these guys. I can do some of the things I was doing in junior college against these SEC players. What yeah. strikes me about him, that floater that he can hit, you know, from deep and from far out in the lane with just that high arc on it. It's a weird shot, but he's mastered it. That's a weapon. And I also like how many times have we seen it's almost like there have been there, there are guards who the closer they get to the basket, where you think the percentage chance likelihood they're going to make that shot should go up it almost goes down we see guards the closer they get to the basket the more they panic they're likely to throw a ball off someone's foot or clank it on their side of the rim or just go up for a foul and then if you don't get it it's a total wasted possession east almost gets more calm more poised more collected as he gets closer to the rim we saw him in that game dribble down low stop jump stop get a big guy up in the air go up and under I mean that's that's impressive for a guy who's not not very tall doesn't have hardly any weight to throw around so I think we're going to see him get better as the season goes along and I think they've just got a good kind of one-two punch going between him and, and Nick Honor if it was just East I think you might see this team get a little more rattled Honor's yeah. presence his poise brings it to it and then East adds some scoring element that that Honor doesn't have so I think Gates did a good job in putting this team together. You know, we didn't know these guys. A lot of them, we kind of went, I don't know that that level transfers up, but I think he and his staff were doing a smart job of what are the roles, what are the skills and how do they blend together? And it seems to be, it seems to be a pretty good mix there. So I know it sounds like we're pumping a bunch of sunshine after a, after a loss, but I tell you what, when you look at where Arkansas might wind up, this game could be as impressive as, maybe beating Illinois yeah. um, when the season, when the season is all, you know, able to be on, on paper. And I do think that Missouri will give Arkansas as good of a game, maybe even a better one when they have the home court advantage. So losing to Arkansas on the road by a small amount of points is not going to be something to hang your head about once a lot of other teams go to Bud Walton arena this season. Um, I, I think the words out about Mizzou, Dave, I, I think people think this is a team that has gone from being a, a team that is supposed to be, bottom half bottom third of the sec to a team that's playing like one that belongs in the ncaa tournament yeah speaking of the word being out i guess we should oh, yeah. address this at this point um you're seeing dennis gates name come up for a very prominent job now who knows if there's anything to this i think it's amazing that there were already sources out there nationally who had candidates ready for the texas job like within an hour of chris beard getting fired 
But yeah. we've, we've seen no, they're not getting fired, getting arrested. Yeah, that's they've been that. sitting on those names for a while now. Right. I think Gates so, has, Gates has just been added to the list because his team is playing so well. Right. Exactly. So Seth Davis at the Athletic included him on a list, and that was more of Seth's idea, not necessarily coming from anybody. Uh, but we saw OrangeBloods.com include Gates in a report. I don't know if I call it a report. It was more of kind of a rambling. Uh, but it, it, his name's getting thrown around out there, and I don't know if there's a whole lot of um, at this point, I don't think if you're a Missouri fan, you need to start worrying or anything like that. You know, I think Texas is going to swing pretty, uh, a pretty big bat, you know, at this higher because it's Texas and they can, and they, they got to get it right. Cause I'm not sure they got their football higher, right. And they're about to join the sec. Um, so who knows? I mean, it's a lot of it's based off a win over Illinois and a win over, uh, Kentucky, and I'm not sure how good Illinois really is anyway. But, you know, this is – it's a good problem to have. If your coach's name is out there for other jobs, uh, it, it really beats the alternative, uh, which has kind of been the case for some of Missouri's coaches here in the past. So we'll monitor that and see if he's, if he's really a candidate somewhere else. I, I've always said, you know, Florida State is the one you got to worry about, um, you know, because that's – he spent time there and he's so close to Leonard Hamilton. And I, I don't think Leonard Hamilton's going to coach forever. Uh, he might. Um, the guy looks like he's in his 40s and we know he's not but at some point that that regime has to come to an end and if if Leonard gets to pick his successor and not many coaches do but some do then you would think you know Dennis Gates would be on the short list but I don't I don't think it's worth worrying about at this point that would be Desiree Reed Francois you know concern I guess the board of curators too uh, if, if you can find two million bucks a year to give Eli Drinkwitz and his sub 500 record and I would think you could find some money for Dennis Gates to keep him around if he's the guy you uh, you want running your basketball program. I mean, apparently for the curators, money just grows on trees on the quad. <laughs> so I'd go out there and shake the money tree that they came up with to get Eli's rust extension and and give uh, give a little uh, gift basket post Christmas gift basket there to Gates. Um, look, if I'm Dennis Gates. I've got to decide, hey, is this legitimate? I mean, he would know. I would imagine that his name on anybody's list who's making a hire has improved from where it was when things started, Dave. I mean, you, you think about, you think about where Dennis Gates name was when he was hired at Mizzou and where it is now, now it's got more national sizzle to it. Is it so much so that Texas is going to make him the first choice? I doubt it. I, I think you look at guys like John Calipari, guys like Nate Oates, guys like Musselman at, at Arkansas, now, if they strike out, then I, I don't know how far you go down that list before Gates becomes a guy that you become very interested in. That's a credit to the work he's done really early at Mizzou. I'll say this, though, if you're Missouri, you know, this isn't uh, very early. We're talking very early in the, even the discussion of the possibility of this, but this isn't Barry Odom, uh, you know, flirting with the idea of, you know, a Louisville when it's at its worst. This isn't uh, people wondering if, if Eli Drinkwitz is going to bounce to go to, you know, a non-SEC school, if, if Texas is has your coach on the radar, that's a threat. So be prepared to act accordingly if you don't want to, to lose your coach, if it gets to that point. So this is not something to just scoff at, but it's that's something right. that's probably very early. And it's also something that if you're Gates and you're early on in your career, you got to think about Texas has burned up and chewed up a lot of good coaches lately. And it's, it's not exactly the, the place to go if you're looking to start a long and luxurious run. Now, if you're just trying to double your payday and get in and out, then it's great. But, you know, they, they have a, 
a, a very political and divisive structure there to their athletics department. They have big money to throw around and they have big money to throw around for buyouts too. I mean, Ashok is smart. He was the can't miss guy. He's been gone for a while now. And clearly Texas was not the reason Beard is out, but uh, they, they just, it's not as, uh, it's not as perfect as it sometimes seems. But I think it's, I think this is a good thing for Mizzou that their coach is, is maybe popping up in some of these lists. If you're covering Texas and you're making your list of candidates of guys you think could be a fit, I can understand totally why you would have Gates on there. He wouldn't be first. He might be in two or three seasons when they're hiring another coach, and they probably right. will be. And if I'm Gates, I'm, I'm factoring that into my thinking too. You only get so many moves, and you got to be careful which ones you really leverage. But uh, tell you what, Mizzou is a big fan of giving premature extensions and raises to football coaches. If they, if they like the sellout trend they've got going with basketball, he's recruiting well. Maybe you, maybe you just find a way to say, hey, let's, let's bump you up a little bit. Um, because again, apparently they've got all the money in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's see what happens next for this team. They got they got a game against Vandy, and at the point now, you're, you're when you're number twenty in the nation, you're twelve and two. You know that's the game you got to win. Uh, I'd say Vandy and South Carolina because they're at the bottom of the SEC right now. Next week's tricky. You go to Texas A&M, who's underachieving a little bit, and you go to Florida. They've got a new coach in Todd Golden. A few more losses than Missouri, kind of finding their way a little bit. Uh, I think you got to split those games to feel good. If you sweep them, that's, that's, you know, there's some, those are some valuable uh, commodities to have on your, your uh, NCAA tournament list of credentials. So, um, so big week coming up, maybe not the big headline games like, you know, Illinois, Kentucky, Arkansas, but a really, really important week coming up. I I think it's, you you mentioned Drinkwitz or I mentioned Drinkwitz. We both did. I think we can segue into the news that he made this week in hiring an offensive coordinator. And I, I think, I think the, the bigger part of the story isn't who, but that he did it, that he hired an offensive coordinator. So for the first time as a college football head coach, Eli Drinkowitz is going to have somebody else in charge of the offense, at least in, in name. I think the most interesting part next is how much say is Kirby Moore going to have? He's the 32-year-old uh, assistant coach from Fresno State, called plays there this past season, did a nice job there. They won the Mountain West Conference. They won nine games in a row to end the season. They beat Boise State uh, to go to uh, to win the Mountain West. They won the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, beat Washington State, and now he's Missouri's new boss of the offense, or at least the underboss. I don't know how we're going to explain this, but he's going to be the quarterback's coach, and uh, he's going to be in Columbia. It's supposed to be Friday. We're going to talk to him Saturday at Mizzou Arena. At least that's the plan. Really interesting hire. Not a not a Big name, big splashy name that maybe some fans expected, but a guy who's pretty well respected. Of course, his brother's Kellen Moore, the former Heisman finalist at Boise State, now the coordinator at the Dallas Cowboys. So, what was your what was your take on uh, on Kirby Moore coming to Missouri? My first take was that I'm starting to feel old um, <laughs> because it's like, oh, Kellen Moore, great. Oh no, wait, he's in the NFL. This is his younger brother. I started doing some reading, some research, and you have to be impressed with what he did as a play caller in, in a short amount of time at Fresno state, their completion percentage was incredibly high. They had good quarterback play. I know their quarterback had an injury during the season, but uh, he was at the controls there. And it sure seemed like that Fresno state offense was one of, if not the most productive in the mountain West. And there are usually some, some prolific offenses in that league. So, Hey, if, if, if you're Mizzou and you're at, 
offensive, if you're an offensive minded head coach, you're probably not going to between the money you have to, you have to spend, although it's increased and the, the rep that you're going to have your hands on the offense as well. This idea of going out and hitting a, an absolute home run rock star proven offensive core is probably pretty slim. So I think what Eli did here is he went and got the guy who could be that guy in two years. And yeah. that's, that's a great call. I think, I, I think that's a good bet to take. I like this hire way more than what we saw uh, Barry Odom do when he was panicking for an <laughs> offensive coordinator and bringing in the dysfunctional Derek Dooley, who I tried to set up at the time was a bad idea. I mean, Derek Dooley has never gone anywhere and people are glad that he's there three years later. This could, this could be a, a much better hire and it's a pivotal hire. Dave, this is a, a transition of sorts for Eli, I think. Look, he came here as, the, as billed as the offensive guru, as the play calling extraordinaire. He could do it all and be the head coach. I think he's been candid about realizing that maybe that's too much to ask of, of a head coach. So now he's going to be more of the CEO type, but he's going to hand over the vision of his offense, it sounds like, to this young man who has a lot of upside. If it's the wrong call, if it doesn't work, then what does Eli Drinkwitz bring to the table? Okay, he needed to, to delegate. He needed to build his staff to, to put his vision to, in place. All this NIL stuff, all this recruiting stuff, it takes up more of, of a coach's time these days. Okay, then hire a guy. But if you can't run the offense yourself and call the right plays and get the most out of your offense and you can't hire the guy to do it, then if you're Missouri and you're four with more middling results, I, I don't know what other options there are, but to consider – making a change. And, and I think Eli knows where things stand right now. He knows he got the payday. He knows he got the extension. He knows this is a big hire. He knows year four is about proving this thing is going to hit another gear. And it makes, it makes Kirby more a fascinating figure in this season for Eli Drinkwitz and this football team. Yeah, it really does. And I, I just think that this job has become as a head coach in college football in the sec, it's become so much bigger than just, calling ball plays. And we've seen that just in the last couple of years that Drinkwitz has been here to where you just wonder how much better can they be offensively if you take that off of his plate. And people said that all year and you think, yeah, but it's not going to happen mid-season. This is going to have to be an off-season thing. But he's got he's to mess with NIL. He's got to mess with the transfer portal. He's constantly re-recruiting his team. And it appears to be doing a pretty good job of that, at least on the defense, him and Blake Baker and all these guys they got coming back next year. You got to figure out your quarterback situation, your depth, all of that. Is there time in the day to figure out what to do on third and four, you know, against South Carolina on a critical possession? Um, put that in somebody else's hands. And, you know, it's still going to go through Drinkwitz. He's going to have the headset on. He's going to have veto power. I mean, just like Gary Pinkle did. He'll, he'll probably be the one deciding what to do on fourth down. He'll be, he'll have to be, you know, influential in the game planning each week. So I don't think he's just going to hand over a playbook and, and or hand over the headset and say, hey, Kirby, this is your deal. I'm just going to watch here on the sideline. It, it's still going to be – he's still an offensive coach. Um, but to take some of the X's and O's minutia off his plate, maybe that makes him a better head coach, a better CEO. I remember during the season I, I, I asked him – I can't remember the question, but basically like, you know, do you, do you still enjoy calling plays? And he's basically like, not right now, I don't. <laughs> it's not working. It's not very much fun. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think sometimes we think of these head coaches, you know, Jimbo Fisher comes to mind, like they're just, they will not relinquish that part of the job, but when it's not working and their job is potentially on the line at some point, you see them let up a little bit. Gus Malzahn did it at Auburn. At some point you just got to let go of that part of the job. And uh, maybe this will end up being a real net positive 
for Drinkwitz. I'm I'm really just fascinated to see how how the the, the chain of command or just how the collaboration is going to work. Uh, but whatever happens, you know, just maybe getting a fresh set of eyes on the quarterback room and that situation and whoever they add uh, to the quarterback room, I think there will be a that, that's going to be an emphasis. I don't know if they're going to go out and get one of these high profile power five guys, but you know, I've been, I've been told they want to add competition to that room again. Uh, so it's, it's going to be really, really interesting. And that, who knows if they, they might have other staff changes that you just never know. There's a trickle down effect. You know, what if, what if Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan uh, and then somebody leaves some staff to go to Michigan and there's an opening on another staff and Missouri's got Missouri loses somebody. So it, it could happen. Uh, but this is a big box to check, and he checked it with with Kirby Moore. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like Kirby Moore is going to do the thing that happened to Barry Odom where he shows up <laughs> yeah. for three weeks and then leaves to take another job like Bobby Petrino did to our uh, old friend Barry Odom there. So, no, I think this is a hire that is – it's critical. I, I said earlier, I'll be candid, I said, hey, if, if Eli's not going to call plays, then why should he be the head coach? Yeah, And I'm reserving the right to feel this way. Unless he doesn't, unless he, unless he proves that he went out and got the right coordinator. Sometimes the key is not so much that Eli doesn't know how to call plays or Eli doesn't know his offense. Sometimes the, the right thing to unlock everything is having the right guy between the coach, the head coach and the team. And, and if Eli can get that with Kirby Moore, where the, he's the right middleman to, to, to put his vision into place for where they're communicating on the sideline instead of Eli with the quarterback, sometimes that can be the answer you need. I do think it shows some adaptability of Drinkwitz to be honest with themselves about maybe this is something I need to consider. Some coaches wouldn't do it. They would rather go down their own way. We'll see if Eli Drinkwitz succeeds or fails with it, but I do think he's showing some willingness to adapt. A conversation I had with him not long ago was just about how much his job has changed since he took the Mizzou job. And it is, think about it, a completely different gig. The conference is changing. NIL is now here in a major part of it. The transfer portal has gone haywire. It is a it is a different job than the one that Eli accepted. He's not complaining. He's paid very handsomely, and he understands the expectation. For him to look around and say, maybe I need to delegate this and have the right guy. The other thing here, Dave, too, he better make sure that he got that he that he that he's better off hiring Kirby Moore than he would have been just been promoting Bush Hamden. You right. got to think Bush Hamden went to Boise State because he didn't feel like he was going to get this opportunity after doing it for the team live in, in the final few games. So if Boise State goes out there and has one of the most prolific offenses under its new coordinator and Mizzou's struggling to get off the ground again offensively, you got to ask of Eli, why didn't you just promote the guy you had? So there are a couple angles there that are going to be very compelling to watch. Yeah, absolutely. The Bush Hamden angle of this is interesting. And you add in Kirby Moore because both these guys played at Boise, but they, yeah. I don't think they're on the team at the same time. Bush was first. He was the backup quarterback to Kellen Moore. And then Kirby Moore comes in and played receiver there. He caught 100-something passes over, over four or five years. And then when Kirby Moore's career is done at Boise, they hire an offensive assistant named Eli Drinkwitz. So over like more than a decade, Boise had either Bush or, or Kirby or Eli in their program. It's like, it's like the new cradle of coaches for Mizzou football. Um, it's just kind of weird the way that works out. And now – Bush goes back to Boise. Boise just played Fresno State in the Mountain West Championship game where Kirby was the coordinator. It's just weird how that works out. And I do think, and you know, I've been told this, like the Boise connection did play a role, um, you know, in, in, in 
connecting Drinkwitz and Moore here. They don't, they didn't know each other very well. Eli knew his older brother, Kellen better. Uh, but just that Boise connection, uh, you know, that those, those coaches out there that are pretty tight, you know, they went from, um, you know, uh, coaches then there have, have had a lot of success and it's, I think a pretty tight knit kind of fraternity um, if you will put it that way, but uh, really fascinating hire, pivotal hire, really, really super important because this guy is going to have a uh, big responsibility. He's got to figure out that system. He's got to figure out the quarterback situation. Got to figure out how to best use Luther Burden. Uh, there's a lot, a lot at stake here in 2023 for this football team. And probably all the all starts with trying to find some way to boost up and beef up the offensive line, yeah. which kind of struggled last season. So there's a lot on the plate there. Uh, okay with the Boise connection, as long as there's no movement to paint uh, the turf, the field, the grass at Faroe Field, uh, some bizarre shade of, of black or, uh, or gold. So we'll have to draw the line there. Speaking of a guy who spent a lot of time on that field, Dave, uh, I appreciate you letting me go first. I know everybody would have dropped off if you would have put this young man first, but a guy who's done a ton for Mizzou, a guy who has been through a lot of changes at Mizzou has been a constant for the Tigers. And you mentioned it as we reached the uh, third down of our podcast here. We should throw it to the guy who always delivers on third down. Let's get into your chat with Tigers wide receiver Barrett Bannister. We are now fortunate to be joined by former Missouri wide receiver Barrett Bannister. It's kind of kind of weird to say that because you've been uh, you've been a current Missouri wide receiver for so long, Barrett. Great to, great to see you. Great to hear from you. Uh, you're in Columbia, uh, still just fresh off the season, fresh off your, your sixth year with the program. How you doing? Um, and, and I, have you been able to unwind a little bit from bowl game holidays and, and six years of playing college football? Man, I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, it's crazy. You saying former, uh, just kind of, it's weird. You know, I've, it's probably sound weird, but I've, you know, I've had, I've, you know, you sleep every night and I've had dreams and stuff where like, I'm still playing college football, like <laughs> while I'm sleeping and I'll wake up and I'll be like, okay, wait a minute. Like the season of my life's over now. And so, um, man, it's weird, but I'm excited for the next step and, you know, excited to still be here in Columbia and train this spring. So, so many guys, when it, when the, the college career ends, they say it, it went by so fast. It, did it go by fast for you or did it seem like, okay, that was a long time. I mean, I looking it up your freshman year, the Heisman trophy winner was Baker Mayfield. <laughs> that guy's like an NFL veteran now. So yeah. did it go by in a blink or, or did it seem like, man, I, I went through a lot. You know, I think uh, the best way I've heard it put is long days, short years. Yeah. Um, I think it's really easy whenever you think back and you can just be like, Oh wow. Like, you know, four years ago, five years ago, I was playing with Drew Lockett quarterback. Like those guys were great. But then when you really break it down and go, you know, throughout that whole entire year of off season, spring ball, summer, you know, it, it, it was a long time and it was a great yeah. time. Um, but like, I, you know, I, I, I've said this before, it was kind of a victory lap for me. Yeah. And I think, it really made me appreciate and soak up, you know, everything that college football is and provided for me. Yeah. Yeah. We got to run through the numbers here. 136 career catches, 
for 1,264 yards. And I think, and this is a, a great piece of trivia, I think you're only the third player in Mizzou history to catch passes in five different seasons. It's, it's hard to do. I mean, <laughs> that, that doesn't happen very often just because of redshirt rules, but you had the COVID year, you had the extra year. Uh, and I think the, the cool part about your career is that you really were playing your best at the end and you're most productive at the end. Did you feel that way? I mean, you had, I think your career high was seven catches and that was each of your last three games. Now you didn't play the Arkansas game, but, mm -hmm. but those other two, the regular season and the bowl game, I mean, you, the, the team didn't go out on top, but it felt like you did, you were playing your best at the end. Yeah. You know, um, I was really starting to feel this year. Like I was more comfortable with the ball in my hands. Um, you know, instead of worrying about, you know, like catch it, you know, get the first down, let's not turn over. It was more of like, you know, I can do a little bit more with my legs and um, just, I I was playing my best ball there at the end and it, and it was fun, um, you know, that getting banged up against New Mexico State sucked, but, you know, yeah. I was very fortunate um, throughout my college career to not really be banged up really badly. Um, I stayed healthy for the most part and that's, you know, a testament to our strength staff, training staff, um, and, you know, just football's a violent sport, just being lucky sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Taking care of your body, but, um, yeah, it was a whole lot of fun and, uh, you know, hopefully I get to keep playing somewhere, but if not, uh, you know, I was, I was playing some good ball there at the end. Absolutely. You, uh, let's refresh your, your story. You come out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, you obviously have, you have family ties to the Arkansas program. Um, but no scholarship offers or, or for major schools, but your buddy Taylor Powell is coming to Mizzou to play quarterback, puts in a good word for you with, with Barry Odom and the staff. And is that really, is that what started it? I mean, without Taylor, is there, yeah. is there no Barrett Banster at Mizzou? Yeah, I know. Like, seriously, that is the only, like, I had no connections here, nothing. And I was actually back home around Christmas and I was talking with Taylor and, um, some of my buddies back there and they were, and they just kind of reminded me of that. They were like, dude, you know how like crazy that is that like your whole, like you found your wife, you played six years of SEC football, like all this stuff happened literally because Taylor flipped from Wake Forest to Missouri. And it like, it, it's just crazy how stuff like that works out. And, you know, it's been a real blessing for me because, you know, all this stuff, I got to live out my dream because, you know, TP wanted to play um, for Mizzou instead of for Wake Forest, which is also funny that that was who we ended up playing at the very last. So it was a wild ride for sure. And, and Taylor goes out on a high note too. He ends up at Eastern Michigan, wins their bowl game. And yeah. this is the year that you end your career, just kind of crazy how, how things work out that way too. Yeah, I think that was like their first bowl win since like the 80s or 90s or something. And so I was happy for him. You know, he had he's kind of been on a – a roller coaster of uh, what is college football nowadays, being at three schools and, um, you know, sometimes things not going his way, but he made the best of his situation and, you know, he played really well and I'm really proud of him. I did a, I did a little research here. Do you know how many quarterbacks you caught passes from in so games my, at Missouri? My father-in-law has asked me this question before <laughs> and I think – it's kind of I, a trick question. I can rehash it. It's, what do you think? It's Drew, Kelly, Taylor, Connor, Sean Rob, Brady, 
Jack. So I think seven. You caught one pass from Tyler Macon. Did I really? Last year. At Georgia? No, against SEMO. He came in the game in the fourth quarter. God, I think it even went. That's when you know I've played too many as I can't remember that catch. (laughs) That was my crack research because I wasn't sure if, if, because he didn't complete many passes or he didn't, he didn't attempt many passes, but you did catch one. And then the, the trick one is you did catch a pass from Sam Horn this year, but it was waved off for a penalty. I know. And the set, I'll tell you what is that play that got waved off. So they were trying to get me to a hundred yards because I'd never had a hundred yard game and Mitch went downfield on it. And so I was literally about to come out of the game and then that happened. They were like, okay, well, I guess you're gonna keep it. And then literally the next play, just get my knee banged up. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, that's part of it, but that was close to one too. So it's eight with an asterisk. We can say that. Golly. I forgot about Tyler. I yeah, that was, that I think the play went backwards, but it did go down as a, or maybe it went for a loss, but it did count as a catch. I don't know if it, I don't know if that's any kind of record. It might be who, who's caught the most, who's, who's caught passes from the most quarterbacks, but I'm sure it's up there. I think you finished 136. That's right outside the top 12 at Missouri all time. So that's, that's pretty impressive. Man. Yeah, that's, that is pretty wild. And, you know, that's yeah, it's honestly crazy. That's a lot of catches. <laughs> what do you uh what do you make of this season? You've had a little bit of time to process it. Very up and down, streaky for the team. Uh talking more about the, the team here. You had those you know, those tough three straight one possession losses and um just not a lot of momentum from one week to the next, it seemed. And so close. So you made the point after the bowl game. This this team was a couple plays away from having yeah. a much better record. Um what would yeah. you make of it now you can look back a little bit? Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of like a knife in the back for y'all, like as fans and stuff, whenever we say that, because, you know, at the end of the day, wins are what matter. Right. And, um, you know, you can't base your success off, you know, should have been, happened, stuff like that. But uh, I guess I can say it now. Uh, you know, Brady fought his guts out. Um every week with that injury that he had yeah Um, that that was hard um on him on his body um and he was a real warrior for us um and so I was very proud of him uh thought he did a lot for us um and I think looking back the biggest takeaway for me is just like how we responded to where we were yeah. Um, you know, it would have been really, really easy for us to give up after, you know, to, we, we had the team that's playing next week. We had them beat, had them on the ropes and just didn't get it done. And um, this team kind of came together and, you know, found a way to go win a tough one on the road at South Carolina. And, you know, it sucks because I wish we could have finished better as a team uh, just like looking back, because I do think we had a very, very talented team. Um, and I do think, you know, looking forward to next year, um, all these guys coming back on the defense is really going to be really going to be good for this program. Um, I think they're going to have a very talented defense and um, you know, I'll say this about our secondary, I go against people I've gone against everyone in this conference and our secondary is as good as anyone in this league. 
And um, I think they're all very talented players. And, um, you know, offensively, I think this new guy coming in, I think he's going to be able to hopefully provide a spark and, you know, some new energy and new fire for, um, you know, the guys in that room. And, um, you know, Coach Shrink's going to have them prepared every week. And, you know, I think they're going to go put a good brand of football on the field. Uh-huh. I wanted to ask just one note on the season. The, the Auburn game is excruciating, gut-wrenching of a loss I've seen any team go through. That one hurt. How, how did you – how how do you well, – who do you credit or how do you credit that a week later you had the national champs number one team in the country on, on the brink? I mean, how, how was that team able – and you didn't win it, obviously, but but – came closer to anybody except Ohio State. How, how did you make that transition from this awful loss to being right there in position to win that game a week later? Yeah, you know, um, I think the first thing that the Auburn, you know, and I don't think anyone would agree that this was, you know, this wasn't one of Auburn's finer teams they've ever had. Sure. Um, but needless to say, they're a blue blood of SEC football. You know, I mean, like um, the SEC isn't who it is without Auburn. And we went down to Jordan-Hare, which is a tough place to play. And you could argue we had, I mean, you know, we we had our chances to win that game. Yeah. And I think that pain and that confidence kind of came together for that Georgia game, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Because I do think whenever you do go down and do that, there is a confidence that comes from it. It's like, especially for a program, you know, like us, who's, you know, been right around 500 the past since I guess 2018 or 2019. Um, Whenever you're able to go down there and play in those games, it it builds confidence. And also, especially nowadays, you know, 60% of your team's new pretty much. And so that was our first real road test in this conference. And so um, taking that, to the Georgia game plus you're at home great environment night game um you know they made a couple uncharacteristic mistakes we were really able to take advantage of them early on and you know we we were right there (laughs) but you know it sucks I hope that I hope they win it so so that way I can just hold on to that forever we were right there Sure, sure. It seems like I've heard Missouri come up more recently, kind of a national picture, just because it's the game that everyone references to when they're talking about Georgia, you know, being tested. It's only really happened once all year, and it was mm-hmm. it was you guys. And, uh, man, that was that was some night. Um, all right, I want to get your thoughts. I've always respected your take on – you've always a guy that had kind of your finger on the pulse of the of the team in the locker room. And there's, there's a lot of – I don't want to say – question marks for just a, a lot of things kind of at stake in the, for the 2023 season with a lot of guys. And I, I feel like you're, you'd have a good read on them. Um, what are your thoughts on, you mentioned Brady, but Brady cook in 2023 and where is he, where, what'd you see out of him this year? What do you expect from next year? Obviously you just had the shoulder surgery. Um, what, what is the potential for, for a healthy Brady cook? Yeah. You know, I think that, I think that's the first thing you said there is just get healthy. Um, you know, football is, like I said, it's violent. It, um, it can take a toll on your body. And I think that's going to be big for Brady is just getting back healthy, um, getting his body back where he needs to be. And then, um, 
honestly, once he gets that, it's, you know, just diving into this new system and figuring out um, how to be successful in it. And, you know, Brady's a very cerebral kid. He'll, um, he'll be able to accomplish that. He's smart. Um, and I know that uh, he's going to go out and he's going to work his butt off. There's another quarterback on the roster, obviously. Um, you're around Sam Horn this year. And what do you think of him and his potential? Where, where is, uh, what, what, what do you make of him? We didn't, we didn't talk to him all year, obviously, but when we saw him a little bit in games, uh, that one series, but what, what's your, your take, your perspective on, on Sam Horn? Yeah. Um, honestly, my first impressions of him was he kind of had a swagger about him. Um, I think he's a really cool guy. I played in the, played in a fantasy football league with him and, um, you know, he's really enjoyable to be around, fits right in with the guys, um, you know, um, puts his head down and he goes to work. Um, I think he's going to continue to grow as a player and, you know, it was year one for him on a college campus. That's, that's hard for anyone. And, um, everyone, I mean, most people red shirt. And so, you know, him having that red shirt year to grow and develop and, you know, hopefully that I honestly don't know what spring looks like for him. Cause I know he can throw the baseball pretty darn well too. Right. Um, but you know, he's going to go out and he's going to work hard and, um, you know, he's going to go out and give it his best shot and, um, you know, get in this new system. As, as a player and it's, you're not playing the quarterback position, but you're aware of what, what the outside noise is. I mean, you referenced it a few times during the season. Like how, how do you process when, you know, your guy is Brady and he's doing everything he can out there, but there's the other, this, there's this outside pull to see what the untested young guy can do. How does internally, how does the team kind of deal with that? I mean, you say it block out the noise, but that's gotta be impossible to some degree. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it's not, we're not naive. Like we're, we, we read the same tweets and everything that um, everybody else does. And um, you know, I think that's kind of, human nature to always get there and you're always looking at the next thing and you know um always wanting that next thing and I'm not saying you know Sam Brady you know I'm I'm indifferent that's the coach's decision on who's going to be the guy um but I think as a team whoever coach says this is the guy it's our responsibility and our role to back him up and defend him and you know, that that's the hard part about being on a team when you're, you're competing with the guy, you know what I mean? Like right. that there's been multiple times in, in my career where it's been like, you know, there's a guy in front of me and coach, coach says he's only in the snaps or whatever in the slot. And it's like, okay, you know what? Maybe I don't think that this is what needs to happen, but this is what coach needs thinks needs to happen. And he's the authority figure. He's yeah. the one making these decisions. We're going to support coach. We're going to help these guys in any way we can. And, you know, I think that's what had to happen for us as a team. And, um, you know, I specifically remember a moment, um, you know, hopefully coach Frank doesn't get mad at me for sharing this. It was after the Vanderbilt game. And, you know, quite frankly, we scored 14 and um, the first half, I think we were up 14, nothing or something. Yeah. And, or maybe 17, nothing. Um, yeah, it was 17 because I don't think we scored a point in the second half. And, um, you know, 
receivers not blocking, offensive line missing protections. You know, Brady took a licking in the second half, and he had no time to throw the ball. Run game wasn't working great, and obviously we scored zero points that half. And after that game, you know, Drink pulled up all this stuff, all these clips of, like, other people, you know, all 11 people have to do their job for the play to succeed. You know what I mean? And it's all these clips of us as an offense how we can improve and you know Brady's the one on Twitter taking the heat you know everyone's like you know blah 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 but really like you know we're missing we're missing a guy off the edge or you know we're not you know blocking on the perimeter to get the run game going to set up play action or we're dropping an easy ball that he threw our way or our depth's wrong on a route and it's stuff like that and you know drink kind of defended him and backed him up and I thought that was really cool because Brady was taken a lot on Twitter and he was just kind of you know turning the other cheek as he's supposed to you know he's not going to go back and respond to people but um that was cool to see um you know drink stand up for him and you know us as a team to kind of rally around him because I think what was we played Vanderbilt and then was our next week game at South Carolina? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I would argue that was probably our best offensive performance of the year. And so um, I thought that I thought that was pretty cool, and that was a good testament. I hope that wasn't just rambling. But. Oh, great. That's the insight we're looking for, Barrett. What, uh, it did, going off course here, Coach Hamden started calling plays at the end of the season. Did you, Was there a noticeable difference? Um, you got to take into account you're playing a New Mexico State team that wasn't very good, and Arkansas's defense wasn't very good. But Brady was running a little bit more. It seemed like you guys were a little bit more consistent. You weren't turning it over. Yeah. Was there a difference there? Um, like I said, you know, I mean, there's only so many plays in football that are like plays. You know, I mean, there's not right. some like silver bullet that is, um, you know, just like the answer to everything. Um, but I think there is something to say about, you know, freshness and just providing a spark. And, you know, maybe Coach Hamden just seeing, you know, the field or able to call it a little bit different way than coach drink. And um, I thought coach Hamden did a wonderful job. He, you know, put us in a lot of really good positions to be successful. And um, you know, he really did a good job getting Brady going on the ground, which I think is a really big part of Brady's game. Um, yeah. He's easily one of the best athletes on our team. And um, when you look at like our combine numbers or whatever we do, he's up there with the best of them. So um yeah, he, I'm really excited for, you know, Coach Hamden. I think he's going to do a great job getting to go to his alma mater at Boise and, um, you know, wish we could have kept him, but totally understand him and that opportunity he has. Um, great person and a great family. For sure, for sure. All right, back to your teammates, Luther Burden. Uh, he comes in with, obviously, with more fanfare than probably any teammate you've ever had and um, ends up with a, with a good year. For a freshman, no doubt. Uh, you guys were just separate, I think, by one catch, 45 and 44 catches between the two of you. Play play a different position, obviously, but um, what do you think of his freshman year and, and what's next for, for Luther? Yeah, um, honestly, you know, and I've said this before, I think the thing that impressed me most is whenever Luther got on campus. And, you know, that kid has every right to be narcissistic, arrogant, um, you know, he was the number one receiver recruit in the country. Like, dude's a ball player. Um, and he came in with his head down. He worked. He learned. 
you listen to people. Um, and I thought that was really, really cool um, to see, you know, because I think a lot of people um, are always like, you know, this new generation of football player, like yada, yada, yada. But Luther came in and did exactly what he was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was cool for me to see. And off the field, he's a great person, fun to talk to, um, smile on his face. Um, and so that was my impressions of him. And then the season he had, um, honestly, I think it's kind of just cracking the surface of what he can do. Um, I think Luther is very, like you guys have seen, he's so talented with the ball in his hands and he just has this ability to spin out of tackles, make people miss. And you're just kind of like scratching your head. Like even in the bowl game, there was like those first three catches he had, he like just didn't get tackled and he just kept moving forward until he got pushed out of bounds. But, um, I think Luther's going to continue to grow and, um, you know, continue to start to make some more of those contested catches and stuff like that. And then you'll really see him take that next jump of, um, you know, I think he was, you say he's like 45 catches and somewhere around, you know, that yardage, I think you'll start to see him, you know, start to take some of those contested catches, break them and, you know, take them for 60, uh-huh. which will, which is huge for an offense, you know, sure. Eli's kind of indicated that he might move him into the slot, your your old position where you and Lovett played. I mean, can he be a different guy in the middle of the field? Do you think? Didn't know if you, I didn't know if you guys knew it. Yes. He, that I think that's going to be a great fit for him. Um, there's a lot of space inside and I think space is his friend. Um, and that's going to be really, really good for him. I think it's going to get him matched up on some safeties and some slot corners. Um that he's going to really be able to use his physicality and his size that he had outside and take it inside where, um, you know, you're facing guys who have to cover both ways more often than not, instead of just, you know, kind of the sideline. And so um, I think that's going to be really, really good for him. And I think that they're going to put him in a really good position to have a great sophomore year. All right. Um, Put you on the spot here. Tell me one player on each side of the ball that, that maybe we're not talking about a whole lot that you think can kind of have a breakout 2023. Hmm. Let me think. No pressure. I, mean, I think the one, I don't know how much y'all are talking about him. It, you know, I think Dalen Carnell is a really, really good player. Uh-huh. Um, size speed physicality he he's a guy that whenever you're in the slot you're like crap I got to go against this guy again Uh Um, you know he that kid it's not a mystery what he does in the game with like finding the football and like interceptions and but like that that's literally him in practice like he's undercutting out routes getting interceptions you know picking up fumbles in practice like it so I don't know how he does it, but it does translate. His practice does translate to the game. Yeah. And so um, I think Dalen Carnell is really going to be in the mix um, and be a great player for defense. Um, offensively, let me think. Oh, running back. Oh, T-Man. T-Man. I, uh, I think Tavoris Jones is uh, 
incredibly gifted athlete. Um, he kind of runs with that forward lean that you see in a lot of, you know, really good kind of reminds me of like a Tony Pollard, um, you know, sure. running style. Um, and I think T man's going to be a really good player. I know I'm not supposed to make comparisons, but I'm, I guess I'm not, <laughs> I'm not. Under, but yeah. So, um, I think T man's going to, you know, hopefully, take that next step and uh, be a really good player for him. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, I, we kept waiting kind of to see if he'd get more touches this year and they didn't didn't really come when you have Cody getting, you know, the the big share of the of the carries there. But it'll be interesting to see what see what some of these young guys can do with a full offseason because mm -hmm. yeah. they, they didn't always get that coming from high school. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the beauty of, you know, you get a new system is everyone's learning. And yeah. so it's not as much, you know, let's get the ones as many reps as we can. It's like, everyone's got to learn this thing. And so it's right. going to be um, just complete effort for every single guy to, you know, go out there and, um, you know, day one installs, day one install for everyone except coach Moore. And so um, I think that'll be fun. It'll be a learning experience for all those guys. I know I went, I guess, three different offenses in six years. So it was, it was always fun learning a new a new system. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's going to be interesting for sure. I'm going to tell you though this much: it's going to be a little less interesting for us because we're not going to have you to talk to every week. You, uh, <laughs> I, I really mean it. Like from the first time you, you did interviews your redshirt freshman year, I'm like, oh, this guy gets it. I hope he starts playing a little bit because you just <laughs> had a you were a natural at it. I think you got a bright future in whether it's playing football, coaching football, talking about football. Um, you can do anything. So I, I appreciate your six years. I guess the last five years you spent um, talking to us when we would annoy you with questions about the, the program, the offense, whatever it might be. But um, we will we will miss you on the beat for sure. No, I appreciate it. And you guys are never annoying. I know that <laughs> um, it was a blast for me, honestly, every single time I got to talk to all y'all, just because it's it's fun for me to articulate football and honestly what you're a big thing that interests me is just like the broadcasting deal of it because I do love the idea of you know people learning about football um yeah. and kind of learning the more in-depth stuff outside of just like you know it was a run or a pass you know the actual what was trying to be accomplished um and the ins and outs of all that and so um it's been a it's been a blast and it was really really fun Absolutely. All right, man. Well, we're going to keep track of you. We'll watch you through pro day. Um, and, and, you know, you got a bright future, whatever ends up being, hopefully it's, it's playing football for a few more years and, uh, and can't wait to watch it all unfold. So uh, that'll do it for this week's podcast. We want to remind our listeners, please check us out at stltoday.com slash podcast, where you can find the eye on the tigers podcast every week. Also please subscribe on Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. If so, please give us a rating and a comment. Those ratings make it easier for more fans, more listeners to find the podcast every week. And also uh, subscribe to my new newsletter. It's called Mizzou Matters. It's free. It comes to your email inbox every Friday. We did the first one this week. We're going to try to keep that up throughout basketball season. Always something going on with football, whatever it might be. Uh, we'll try to keep you entertained there. We want to thank our guest, Barrett Bannister. Uh, we, we talked with Ben Fredrickson earlier. That'll do it for this week. I'm Dave Matter. We'll talk to you next time.